podcast listeners. This is Mary Peterson. I have the joy of serving Heartbeat International as a housing specialist and get the absolute privilege of speaking to incredible people across the country who are doing the great work of maternity housing. Today, I am looking forward to a conversation with Andrea McAdam. Andrea, thank you so much for jumping in and joining this, this situation. We're glad to have you. Well, thank you. Looking forward to it. So, Andrew, can you just tell us a little bit about your program, kind of maybe introduce yourself um, and then tell us just a little bit about your program to kind of set the stage for us? Sure. I'm Andrea McAdam, and we are located in Missouri in Kansas City. So I work for the Lighthouse. I've worked here almost nine years. And at the Lighthouse, we are not just a maternity home. We actually have two other programs at the Lighthouse. So we work with adoption, either birth moms or families in the community that are wanting to adopt. And then we also have a community outreach program in which we have a program for moms to come and get education and support and then shop in our baby boutique. And then also trying to reach out into the community to do presentations about the lighthouse and about other topics that we feel are relevant for our community. And then at the maternity home, we're a smaller maternity home, so we can have six moms who are ages 12 to 21, and then they're either pregnant or have a baby under the age of three, and we fully furnish the house, and they just share a room only with their baby. Awesome. Well, with all those different programs, there's probably a lot we could jump into and dive into. But I asked specifically uh, to be able to talk to you about kind of women in early recovery. So can I clarify again, you're working with teen or younger women. Is that is that what you said? Yes. So our moms we work with are ages 12 to 21 here at the maternity home. And then for our other programs, they can actually, there is no top age range. Great. So um, so there's lots that we could talk about um, in all that you, that you gave us there, but really want to kind of focus on the topic of addiction. So because that is such a hot topic in the housing world and and homes are really wrestling with how to serve women in early recovery. And I know you've made some decisions kind of related to early recovery that maybe are a little different or that are kind of that you've made some shifts in your program. So I was hoping just to talk about those a little bit. Could you maybe outline for us what your policy is toward women in early recovery? Yes. For our program, we really want to look at the whole person, the whole woman. So we have um, on our staff, our girls have case management. They have a counselor they meet with on our staff, and we help them get a job or finish their schooling. And then anything else that comes along with them, including the addiction piece, we want to work with them on. Our goal here is a healthy mom and a healthy baby. And so for our program, if we have an interview process, and if we see that they can benefit from our program, then that is what we look at versus what would they not be able to do in our program. And so if we think they can do it and they want to try it and, you know, work through their addiction and be clean while they're um, pregnant and in our program and really work towards that as a lifestyle, then that's something that we're willing to work with them on. And so for our program, usually our girls are pretty open sometimes about that, just about their history. And I would say a large majority of our girls have experience some type of substance use in their past, whether it's current or quite a while ago. And most of the time, they're willing to work at it um, and they're wanting to try. And so for our program, we do have a nurse who can do random UAs. And so when they come on site, 
depending on their level of addiction, then we help them initially get set up with a program. So if they need to detox, we have several programs in Kansas City that we can work with. If they need inpatient or outpatient care, then we can also set that up. So what I hear you talking about is kind of that opt-in philosophy, right? I think historically we've thought of maybe our, our guidelines or our intake process more in an opt-out way, right, where we're learning lots of information about her and trying to figure mm-hmm. out if it's a good fit, but we're thinking about it in terms of are these things going to prevent her from moving in? And it's kind of this new idea of opting in, really. I don't know if you could say more about that, but it is kind of this new approach that homes are really trying to wrestle with. Yeah, I mean, our girls have a lot of trauma from a lot of different things, and so we can't expect the girls to know how to do everything or feel like they kind of got it all together. I mean, that's why they're in our program is to learn and grow so that they can become independent when they leave our program. And so, yes, what they, you know, what they bring to the table where we are willing to mostly work with. And as long as they're willing to continue to work on that. So if in our program they continue to use or they continue to have positive um, UAs, then unfortunately we would talk with them and maybe it's not the safest place for them to go, but that's not something we consider right up front. We really give them time to make changes because we know that if they were to leave our program, they might go back to that same lifestyle. And so that would just be doing them more harm. So let's unpack that a little bit. Then do you ask about kind of addiction or past behaviors as part of the intake process or what are you assessing as she moves in um, around addiction especially? Yes. So all of our girls who are interested in our program and that qualify um, simply just based on age. And then if they're pregnant or have a child under the age of three, they meet with our case manager and they do an intake assessment. And so we ask lots of questions about just all of their history. So trauma, addiction included, substance use, um, living situation to really find out who they are and what they're looking for and what they're wanting to accomplish while they're with our program. And so in that intake assessment, our case manager would even tell them at the beginning, okay, hey, if you are struggling with addictions, these are some different things that we would ask for you in our program, depending on her level of addiction. And that way, the mom knows up front, you know, coming into our program, this is what's expected of me. And if she's not interested in that, there's no surprises for her coming into our program. And if she is interested and wants that help, then she is coming into our program knowing that we're wanting to really help her. We're wanting her to benefit from our program because ultimately when she leaves our program, she you know, needs to be successful and feel independent and feel like she would not go back to that addiction, which is why we also include the outside resources because our program is about an 18-month-long program. And when they leave our program, they're not with us anymore. And so they need some outside resources that they can continue um, going to. What I hear other homes saying is that they're worried by accepting women who are in the earlier stages of recovery, that it might have a negative impact on the other women in the house who Mm -hmm. are also in recovery. What do you see around that, that topic? I hear a lot of fear around that. Have you, do you have any experiences or anything that you've seen? Sure. Yeah. Um, We've had, we had one girl who actually went to a detox program for about three days before coming here. And so that was interesting because the girls knew that someone was coming, but um, she wasn't here yet. But I have not found that wasn't a negative experience for her when she came. We were ready to accept her and work with her on the next step. And then we've had sometimes 
girls who have had an addiction previously, um, maybe current. And in the program, they actually tended to kind of bond over that in a way of wanting to get better and wanting to work through that and not going back to that lifestyle. I have not seen any girls in our program who have an addiction cause another girl to have an addiction as well or really encourage that. It's almost like they're encouraging each other to not do that because they want to be healthy for themselves and they want the other mom to be healthy for themselves and for their babies as well. So I think from staff, it can be concerning. And we have about 12 different staff who work at a maternity home. We're um, rotating on a 24-hour schedule. And sometimes that is concerning, but with a lot of training, we just encouraged our staff to um, know when to be safe if there was a concern that were to happen, but also to, again, look at the look at the mom as, um, as so much more going on in her life than just the addiction. That's just one piece of her. No, that's really insightful. Thank you. I guess I also hear this idea that with addiction, you know, that that whatever the substance is can become kind of the thing in their life, right? The organizing thing. And so that sense of really wanting to change. Do you have a way that you think about that or talk about that or assess that in the women that you're serving? So our case manager meets with our girls weekly, and they talk, and she talks about all of their goals they're interested in. So she doesn't just focus on the addiction goal. But what are the other goals that they are wanting to work on? Are they wanting to go to school? Are they wanting to get a job? And then we'll incorporate, okay, well, if you work on the addiction piece of that and be free from that, then you'll be able to do these other goals. And so we concentrate on a lot of goals versus just that one main goal. They also meet with our counselor. They have the opportunity to do that weekly. And so our counselor will talk with them about, you know, again, what they're wanting to do with their life and why it's important to be free from that and what that would look like with their baby. You know, our moms are young. And so unfortunately, there is a lot of stereotypes put on them. And sometimes we try to help them see that they're going to have more weight on them, I guess, just as a young mom. And so this is one thing to be free of, to help them be free of that lifestyle. Once they leave our program as well at the maternity home, they can actually continue in that outreach program I was talking about. So we do have some aftercare follow-up, which I think that's a big benefit of our program because sometimes when our girls leave, some of them haven't been back in the environment. And so just helping them stay free from the causes that come from that environment. I think another thing too is our staff really cares for the girls and our girls see that. They sense that we are here to help them. We are here to support them. We really care about them. We do different things in the program that are kind of a family style type thing. And that really resonates well with the girls to be able to feel like, you know, I haven't really had that before. My environment I was in prior to coming to the lighthouse was not impactful like the lighthouses. And that's really helped the girls to see the differences between what their life was before the lighthouse and how those things were influenced in their life in a negative way. Yeah, thanks. What I heard you saying was really just the idea that the addiction piece is just one aspect, you know, so I think Mm -hmm. maybe as policymakers or as people trying to shape their program and think about addiction, we tend to maybe put it really high on the list. But I I kind of hear this approach from you that's like, you know, it's just one one piece. Um, What we know from learning about trauma is the idea that it can be both a symptom of trauma and and a, you know, and a cause. We tend to focus on the cause side, right? She's making these decisions and her life's kind of gone, you know, all these negative consequences related to the addiction. But we also know that 
as a as a way of dealing with the pain related to trauma or kind of dealing with you know the situation that she's in that addiction can be um a result of that yeah i guess i really hear this approach that's like you know the addiction is not it's just one piece it's not the biggest piece in her life can you say more about that or is that am i on target there yeah, no, I think you're definitely on target. And I think that has changed for us over the years that I, well, over the course of time of the lighthouse, but um, also over the years that I've been here in, in, in recognizing that, that addiction is just one piece. Like these girls want to also finish high school and that's a big goal of theirs. Some of these girls want to get a job. They're going to have a baby. They're going to have to figure out where they're going to live next. They may have mental health needs that they have to take care of. And so while addiction can be overwhelming in a life and, like you said, can kind of take over when they have traumas and it's a coping mechanism, we don't look at it as that because we want we want them to know that we care at the maternity home about their baby, for sure, but we also really care about the mom and how is the mom doing and what can the mom do to better herself so she can be an independent mom and care for her baby, which is definitely a mind shift when you don't look at one thing of a mom. You look at the whole picture, which might be five or six things, and then there's so many other pieces as well. And that's been helpful for our girls too, because, you know, if you solely focus on the addiction piece, they're going to get tired of hearing that. They're going to get shut down. And so in case management and counseling, when our staff work with them on the different pieces, it's easier for them to talk about them in a way. Um, And we've had a lot of girls in our program who they recognize the importance of getting out of that lifestyle and they think, man, you know, a year ago I wasn't pregnant, but look where I was and the environment I was in was so negative compared to what it is now. So let's shift gears a little bit. I know you've made the decision to let women that you do, ran, you know, random testing. Sounds like you have a nurse that's going to do that for your program. Um, and you've made, you've allowed women to come back with a, with one dirty test, which is a little different than what I hear from a lot of programs. So can you talk mm-hmm. to us about your decision to set that policy and then maybe just how it plays out in your house? Sure. And it's actually after two <laughs> dirty tests. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Not including the initial one. So when we do that intake and they tell us, hey, I have used and I know if I'm going to test dirty, um, I'm telling you that right now. That's not one we even consider in the in the number of two because they told us up front and that was prior to them coming. So once they're in our program, um, yes, we, we can test them. We have the ability to do random tests. And so at that first time, after they've been in our program for a while and whatever drugs were out of their system after coming into our program, if they were to have another negative UA, we would then require them to um, to attend an NA class or an AA class, just because, again, we see that the importance of our program and it would be better and safer for them to be in our program than out on the street or out back and and living with those people who were not positive influences in their life. Um, so that's why we allow that the first time. And we do an NA or an AA class because it's something in Kansas City, at least that's offered daily. There are many options to go to that, many opportunities to attend a class. And it's something that they'll still be able to work on their other goals in our program, um, knowing that it's about an hour, you know, a day or a, or a couple times a week. And sometimes we also know our girls make mistakes. You know, our goals aren't perfect. And so maybe they're not back in that lifestyle, but maybe they had one slip up. If they had tested dirty that first time, we would do a second test later on. We don't have a set time limit on when we would do that test, but it would be at a point where we know that the drugs are out of the system. 
So it's a fair shot at having another test. And then once we do that second one, again, we know that the girls can slip up, but if they have a second one, then there's more of a concern. And so at that point, we would help them connect with one of the different drug resource centers in Kansas City to do an outpatient program. So it's more intense, it's multiple times a week, and it's longer, um, and it could impact their daily schedule of work or school, but we want them to know that we know this is serious, and um, we want you to help to get this under control. And then if there was a third time that they tested positive, at that point, we would have to talk about, you know, another plan for them, because again, we need to make sure everyone in our program is safe. Yeah, yes. I was going to ask you, people's big concern is keeping the house safe and keeping drugs out of the home and, and those type of mm-hmm. things. Do you have mm-hmm. any kind of knowing that this is your policy and it's perhaps a bit different than others? What do you have in place to really help help that sense of safety and, you know, that the house, there's not drugs in the home? Whenever our girls take passes, we are able to um, search their belongings when they return. We have the ability to conduct room searches as needed or when needed. I'm not saying it doesn't happen or maybe goes undetected, but I think that our goals have been respectful of the program and and you kind of get this feeling sometimes of what they're up to. We also have had girls that when they have tested positive, they don't even they're not really wanting to stick around. They don't feel comfortable anymore. Um, And that's not anything that we have put on them. That's just their choices that they're making of saying, hey, this isn't this isn't what um, is working for me. And so I'm choosing to um, to leave. But I do think that's a concern. It's hard to figure that out. But again, we, we have a single room model. So that might be helpful in that regard to the girls aren't sharing rooms, you know, if there were to be something in the house. But just being mindful of what's going on and just being prepared for situations that may arise and training on how to handle those situations. Is this a shift? Um, for your program, I, you know, homes are really trying to wrestle with, they're, they're getting more and more calls from women in early stages of recovery, fairly active youth in their lives who maybe have quit because they're pregnant, but, you know, but are, are still fairly early in the, in the recovery process. So I think homes in general are really wrestling with how to think about this topic. Have you, has your program gone through a shift in philosophy or approach or has, has this been a long-term policy? No, it's been a shift. I would say about five years ago, we came up with kind of our three steps of what we would do if someone were to test positive in our program. And it's been more of a meeting the needs of the community, you know, wanting to change with the community and what um, what our girls are experiencing out there. We have had several women in our program that during their intake, they talk about past history. Not all of our girls, but a large amount have have at least used drugs at one time or substances at one time. So we know it happens and it's out there. But the girls that have been currently using or really have what they consider an addiction or what we might consider an addiction, that is newer in the last several years. And so it was something that we had to sit down as a team and think about what we would do and how we would handle situations to be making sure that the girls are still benefiting and that we're still making sure that they are um, seeing how to work with their addiction and how to how to get away from that and work through that and then also make sure that our moms and babies are safe. And so that is where we have kind of those steps and our girls are very aware of those. And some of our girls realize that if they were to test positive, that they're not going to have anywhere to go. You know, if they were to leave the lighthouse, there's nowhere 
nowhere that they are comfortable to go. They are able to live with, you know, family or friends during this time. And so they want to make that decision for their baby and themselves. You mentioned you have several licensed staff. Can you tell us just a bit about your staffing model? Yes. And that's something also that has, has been a shift over the last several years, which I think has brought in a great sense of um, knowledge and training and education to our program and great leadership to really seeing the mom as the whole person and not just her faults or her weaknesses or the things that she needs to work on. But um, our president is a licensed master social worker, or I'm sorry, our vice president is a licensed master social worker. Of our three programs that we have, our outreach manager, who's also our counselor, has her master's in counseling. I'm the maternity home manager, and I have my I'm a licensed master social worker. And then we have one staff who works at the house, a residential specialist who's also licensed as a social worker. And we have a couple staff who are currently getting their master's in counseling. So we have a great array of staff who have the degree and the education to be able to um, have the approach of seeing our girls and working with our girls as where we can best serve them. Thanks. I think that's an insightful piece as homes are wrestling Mm -hmm. with this. We just have to assess capacity, organizational capacity, right? They have to assess their the staffing dimension and understand whether or not there's an organizational capacity to consider some of these things. Um, and we became accredited in March of 2018. And with that, there's some education requirements we have to also meet, which has just made our program that much more great in the term of understanding our girls. And then as an agency, we went through a trauma-informed certification as well, just to be able to really understand our girls and what their needs are and how so many things in their lives work together, but there's so much more about them and really seeing that whole picture again. No, thanks. What advice would you give the programs that are kind of in the throes of trying to think about things, perhaps take a new approach or think about things um, around addiction differently? Do you have any advice that you'd give to programs that are in that stage of things? I think just advice to give would be to, when you go into that initial interview or assessment with the girls, to go in with an open mind and know that there might be things that they share with you. But don't allow that to guide your decision. You know, really talk with them about what their goals are, what they're wanting to do, where they are seeing their life going, and how can your program help them? What can they learn from your program? Because all of our girls in our program, whether they have... um, If they have an addiction and at different levels of addiction, or if they don't have an addiction, they're all wanting to do something different. They all have different end goals and maybe different ways of getting there. So how can you help them and how can they really benefit from your program? And I think not to be scared if one girl has a stronger um, hold on addiction or stronger personality or be concerned that she's going to kind of lead the other girls in that pattern Um, and just knowing that. You as staff are teaching those other women in your program to make their own choices and to, again, be there for themselves and really just work with the mom on that. And that was a shift that our staff has gone through in the last several years is accepting girls of how they can really benefit from our program versus looking at them and saying, oh, well, they don't have this or they're not going to do well here because our girls have some of them really surprise you. And, you know, what you do in an interview is an hour with them and they could be a completely different person once they're in your program. There's different things that come out about them. And so just not to be afraid to try 
and work with them because you never know how they're going to benefit and you never know how they're going to grow and learn to become that independent mom. Oh, that's great encouragement. And really it just sees the, you know, it's really living in the possibility and the hope for women, you know, and, and kind of just living in that space. So really admire that and just admire your willingness to go through different um, organizational shifts as well and grow and adapt. I love that you said you're meeting the needs of the community. So thank you for that. Any resources that come to mind, websites, books, people that you have learned from as homes are kind of wrestling with this, is there any outside resources that come to mind as things people should read or look at or watch or whatever? I think the SAMHSA website is a great website. And then I think just partnering with the different substance use programs in your community. And if you are in a small community, you know, looking to see what would be around you in the nearest city and just talking with them and getting to know their program because all of the programs have a little bit of, they have some differences. And I think they can provide a lot of insight into what their programs offer and then how that would benefit your girls and your program and kind of developing that partnership as well. That's great. You know, we're definitely seeing that more and more um, in the healthy world where especially the smooth handoffs are happening kind of back and forth. A woman needs to go into a program, a recovery program, you know, that relationship is formed. And if she needs to phase out and come into more of an independent living situation, you know, that that's happening. So we're, we're definitely seeing that. And is there anything I should have asked you and I didn't, any insights that you want to be sure to get out or share with the housing community? I'm just, thank you for the opportunity to share. And I'm thankful for your podcasts and hoping that, you know, it kind of allows the housing community to um, learn from each other and grow from each other. Because some of the things in our program, we have learned from other programs or kind of learned along the way. And when you're taking on new tasks, that can be scary in your program. And it's not always just, you know, the one person making the decision or the person, the staff who kind of brings up the change, but it's all the staff included that need to be on board with those decisions. So hopefully we're learning from each other. Yeah, beautifully said. Andrea, thank you so much for your time and just for being willing to kind of contribute your thoughts to this conversation. Um, I know it's a great service to the the housing world. So thank you and blessings on your, your good work. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. To subscribe to future episodes, access resources related to today's session, or listen to previous episodes, visit www.heartbeatinternational.org podcast. Thanks for tuning in.